working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here. Welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. And we've got something a little different for you this week. As some of you may know, I've been on tour with the Equinox Orchestra for about the last six weeks. So I'm bringing you a conversation with my bosses on this tour. Uh, band leader and saxophonist Jeremy Davis, lead singer Clay Johnson, and trumpet player, musical director, and tour manager Tommy Brinson. I wanted to do this because we've talked a lot on the podcast about how we interact with these types of people as drummers, and I thought it'd be a great opportunity to actually hear from them and get their perspective on running a band, managing a tour, and uh, on drummers and drumming. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, NotSoModernDrummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. These three guys all have very different roles in the band and some unique insight that I think is useful to us as working drummers. Uh, And they're all funny characters, which makes for a good time on the bus and on the mic. Uh, This tour and this talk have been enlightening for me about what they deal with as band leaders, and I hope it will be for you too. All right, everybody take a sip. Take a sip, and one, two. Cheers, boys. Cheers, all right, so uh, just start off by uh, identifying yourselves, if you would. My name is Clay Johnson. I am the vocalist for the fabulous Equinox Orchestra. My name is Jeremy Davis. I play the saxophone. I'm sorry. My name is Jeremy Davis. I play the saxophone. I lead the Equinox Orchestra. My name is Tommy Brinson. I play trumpet in the band and serve as musical director. All right. So uh, just give folks a little bit of the background of, of the Equinox Orchestra, what it is, and, and uh, how it came to be. Ooh, man, that's a, that's a great question. It's been around for about 15 years, I guess. Um, it's, uh, it's a big band. We play everything from um, the Great American Songbook standards to uh, whatever the spirit moves us. You know, mm-hmm. we, 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 we make a point to include um, music from all genres arranged for the big band. Um, and of course, we have different uh, uh, setups. We'll use the full big band. We'll use um, a scaled down big band. We'll add strings to the big band. So it's uh, it really it really is uh, depending um, on the occasion, the venue. Exactly, the depending on uh, on what uh, what the gig may may call for. Right. Um, and this is uh, not not the first tour, tour you've done, but certainly the longest. Oh my gosh! Correct. We've done lots of ten days, yeah. two weeks. This. Um this is a, um, a a new experience for us being being on the road for 
four weeks. Days. Well, but we did. Five we have a break. We have five days off Jeez. the middle. But this is the longest stretch here. Thirty-one days away from from uh, our wives and kids, and uh, so this is um, by far the most challenging. However, um, it also is the most rewarding. I think you know, fiscally and and uh, you know. Bonding with the guys and, and, and just having a good time seeing the seeing the country. So yeah. um, it's good. It's what, it's what we've been working for. So we're finally doing it, and uh, and, and we know there's a cost associated, yes. but there's but there's great there's, there's great <laughs> benefits. Too. So be careful what you wish for, right? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we'll we'll get more into uh, you know the the ins and outs of each of your individual roles in the band, um, but. Talk like give us a snapshot of the band right now. The different kinds of gigs that this band does. Um, and the different venues you show up in and, and just the, sure. ver- the various ways in which this band draws income and puts yeah. itself out there. That's a great question. Um, and we, we're kind of a, a band in between, if you will. Um, we do theaters, performing arts centers. Um, we, this tour, has we're performing everywhere from high school auditoriums to churches to, to big, beautiful uh, concert halls. Um, we do everything from... Jazz clubs with a quintet, private events, weddings, um, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we travel, we've, we've been fortunate to travel uh, all over the different parts of the world. Um, uh, but this tour primarily is, uh, is like I say, performing arts centers and, and uh, concert halls. A, a lot of the income, I mean, when it comes to like the bulk of income that we get, a lot of that comes from weddings mm-hmm. and i mean as much as we don't like it but weddings uh, are, are are um you know they're a, <laughs> or as much as it's just like a, a glorified uh, jukebox you know right. really expensive jukebox in the corner um you know the, the wedding market is definitely something that that we we definitely want to stay involved in we're involved in a in a group called uh, called engage summits which is you know a luxury high end wedding group and um and it's it's just a place where they realize that people are willing to spend a whole lot of yeah. money on 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 weddings and just a note about that i mean we we don't dislike doing weddings Dis- no 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 not no, at no, all primarily because people hire us to celebrate the most important occasion of their life right. to do exactly what we do. Mm-hmm. If right. we were having to play something that was not fulfilling musically or was a, what we thought was an artistic compromise in some way, it would be different. Because I know that's <clears throat> the rub that most artists have with doing weddings. Right, and there are, there are wedding bands and corporate bands that can kind of mold themselves to whatever right. the, the, sure. the client wants. Right. But the, right. the cool thing about you guys and I think other bands... Are able to do this too is is they've developed enough of a clientele where people say I want you that, to exactly. do what you do right. for my wedding right. and and we're doing that and we're getting that more and more mm-hmm. instead of we show up for a wedding like in the past <laughs> in the past the frustration was we show up for a wedding as a as a big band or as a jazz quintet or whatever, and they say, we need Black Eyed Peas. Play Black Eyed Peas right now. <laughs> or, and are y'all guys know Taylor Swift? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we play some booty music. I need booty music. Or something. Well, something. Yeah, really? worse when they say, you guys know any beach music? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I played a wedding with Atlanta Funk Society. <laughs> we, I was playing with Atlanta Funk Society, and this dude came up and said exactly that. Yeah. Do y'all know any beach music? It's well, a phenomenon. We need a shag. I want a shag just, or something. What? Just... I mean, again, having done music for years and years, and before I moved to Savannah, I'd never heard someone refer to beach music. You know, yeah. and, and I think it's just a, a East Coast Savannah, Southeast Head, Coast, Myrtle Beach. Very, I mean, it's South like Carolina. this South Carolina, yeah, North, totally yeah. Right. Georgia coast. That's but all it is. We're very fortunate that ninety nine percent of the time, 
people want us to do what we do to celebrate their life. And yeah. that's, that is a joy. Because honestly, it pays ten times what the theater yeah, pays. Usually. Sometimes it, and we're not above taking one for, you know, I always tell clients, we charge a premium for what we do. But if you love what we do, and we have the date open, and even though you don't have the budget, I'm going to do my very best to make it work for right. you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, we believe in that, and we and we do. So and we do, and we tell them. I mean, we say, look, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not the salesman by any means. Jeremy's the salesman, but but we've talked about the pitch a lot, and it is we're not expensive. We cost a lot of money because <laughs> because what we provide is better than what anybody else is going to provide right. for your wedding. Right. And we can we can customize the package of what you want, what your vision is, what your dream is, what you've always wanted that for your special the, day. We there, can do that. There's a great line in uh, You've Got Mail when, mm-hmm. when they're in the bookstore and Tom Hanks is looking at this rare book and yeah. and uh, the guy says, you know, all the illustrations are, are hand, hand sketched <laughs> and, and Tom Hanks is flipping through it. He's like, is, is that why it costs so much? <laughs> and the guy says, no, that's why it's worth so much. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, that's good. That, that verbiage that Clay said there was was very crafted after uh, a lot of conversation, and uh, and Tommy's been coming to these things with the two these these uh, engaged summits where where it really is geared towards a luxury market, and you and you really have to figure out how to dif- differentiate yourself from from the rest of the thing. And and one of the things that we say is we will work our tails off to be the very best we can be for you, and and not to not and it kind of takes the pressure off of saying we're better than anybody else. It just allows us to say this is what we're going to do for you. Um, One thing that I gathered was that it's we get to help tell their story at right. their event. Sure. And and that's that's that comes in a, at a premium. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're, we're storytellers with you sure. at this great celebration. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Correct. Yeah. So another uh, development in, in the recent years of the band is is the role of Mr. Tommy Brinson to my yes. right. Uh, because for a long time it was it was just you guys. Mm-hmm. You were doing all the rehearsals, booking all the stuff. Book, but <clears throat> in recent years, Tommy has taken over the role of musical director, mm-hmm. doing Thank rehearsals, God. putting charts together, etc. Yeah. And yes. in even more recent years, he's taken on the role of, of being tour manager. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and he's also uh, our chef, along with you, my friend. You, right. you and, yeah. <laughs> we're, no, we're going to get to the food <laughs> later. Yeah. But, uh, but I just want to hear from Tommy about about this this role that you're, or the multiple roles that you're playing in the band, and uh, multiple. What multiple. what possessed you to take on such things? <laughs> um, maybe I've fallen victim to Jeremy's charisma. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> I would be victim number one. <laughs> I, I've, I've told the story like this, and, and I think you can see this being on the tour with us, and the, the aspect that, that Clay and Jeremy's heart is in service. And so that's part of, part of the reason that they're sought after, or the band is sought after for different aspects, is because we're service-oriented people. And I think the, the thing that, that got me in the door... Uh, more so than my ability to hold a trumpet, was that, you know, I, I lived close enough and I thought, I, I, can, I can be helpful, I can get to the gig early, and I can leave late, because it's, it's, it's not a big deal and it's stuff that needs to be done. And I, I, I think that willingness to help along the way put me in these, in these roles. And then I have some administrative experience. So... Planning things, organizing things, and then as a band director, 
Um, you know, it just made sense to be able to run a rehearsal. You know, we do a 90-minute show, and it's rare that we have more than 30 minutes with the entire band. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's something that makes makes me helpful is that I can get through a 90-minute show and hit those points that are important to deal with, and then the rest is left up to the fact that we hire the best musicians wherever we are. Right. And, of course, now we're traveling with our home team. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, there's a lot of the language that you don't have to interpret for anybody. You right. can hit the high points for tightness, but the rest of it is going to be taken care of because everybody speaks the language. Right. Yeah. And I was yeah. going to say, you, you have experience as a band director working, right. working in public schools. So, uh, you know, being in front of a bunch of full-grown jazz musicians is really... is just as easy as high school seniors. They're <laughs> children. Bless their hearts. I'll say this. When Tommy came on the scene, it was a fundamental shift. I mean, because before, I had to, you know, try to... As the as the band leader and kind of sharing the frontman duties with Clay, I had to be focused on too many things. I'm yeah. trying to play well. I'm trying to trying to be funny, which is an effort. I'm trying to 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 be charismatic, do all that stuff. And then I'm still trying to count the tempos off at the right in in the right tempo whatever. And um and it wouldn't it would happen regularly where things would get crazy and I would whatever and I would count it off and it, and and you know how some of these things the swing has got to be just at the right tempo or it doesn't jive. Well, Tommy Took that off of my plate, and which was which was the greatest thing for me to be able to focus well, there's, on. There's no and greater momentum killer than one, two. Wait, 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 no, too fast. That's too fast. Slow it down. Wait, wait, slow wait. it down. And and so as the show has gotten better and 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 the wheels turning more precisely, like I I know the punchline coming up or or whatnot, so we know yeah. when we need to hit the downbeat. Uh, in the middle of the applause or whatever it is, and, and some of those things have changed over the years, and and but it's, I think I've been able to help keep the show going without there being a loss of momentum after the joke or after the story. It's true. Yeah. In the beginning, I mean, I guess this may have been seven or eight years ago um, when Jeremy and I were still doing this bar, you know, trying to he was doing all the counting off, and we're trying to come up with the show and keep in a library, which somehow I got in charge of the library, which is a big mistake, but I was doing a <laughs> huge mistake. But anyway, we, we, were, we, we were like, you know, who, we were thinking, who is somebody who could take this job? And there was one name that consistently kept coming up, and it was Tommy, because Tommy was, uh, he was always early. Um, he was always, he'd always stay late and help us break stuff down. And he wasn't doing this for extra money. He was just doing it because he, he liked hanging out with us, I guess, and liked, yeah. liked being a part of the process. Um, he was fun to hang out with. I mean, he was he was a great hang. His he was servant's just, he heart. Was, he made he, it easy. Yeah, he just wanted to help. He he was always there to help, however he could, and he was very effective in what he did. Mm -hmm. And so when when Jeremy and I were thinking, how can we fill this this void of needing somebody to kind of take charge of something that that we you know just it's gotten so big it's out of our control. Um, you know, Tommy was the natural guy to say, because he was always there anyway. He was already coming in and helping us get music in order. He was yeah. already was, was there kind of, you know, helping to, to come up with, with some ideas for, for the show. And so we were like, man, let's just, let's, let's talk to Tommy. He just, because that, that speaks to just his dedication and his, uh, his servant's heart and his, his willingness to kind of, to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's just a great yeah. work ethic. And what, what you're all talking about is, is finding a way to make yourself indispensable. Yes. We talk about so, this a lot on the podcast. Yeah. Like if you're a member of a group or if you want to be a member of a group, you, you've got to find a way right. that you can be depended on and be indispensable. But I don't think, I don't think Tommy was doing that. It, 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 he wasn't doing that as a means of, 
of uh, a selfish ambition of just like protecting himself. He was I'm just I mean, the way he is. I mean, because there are clearly people who who you know <laughs> who are trying to to protect themselves and 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 you know job security and all that kind of stuff, and, and it's kind of clear. But but with Tommy, it wasn't like that. It was just a natural. Um, you know, just just in the, the evolution of, yeah. of our relationship, and we're like, man, this is he's he's the perfect guy right. for this. So, but my my point is, it, it is translated to yes. more security for Tommy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sure. Tom, as the right. road manager and yeah. as the musical director, yeah. Tommy gets paid more than we do, as he well should. Um, but the <clears> fact <throat> that he went the extra mile sure. in the beginning has now paid off. Yeah, yeah. we always oh, teach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> and we tell it to young people too when we do our. Our educational outreaches, we say, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, nobody's going to give you anything, hand you anything. Um, you aren't entitled to just get a job. And it all, it depends on your willingness to to just work and serve and, and start at the bottom and work your way up and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, anyway. r- really, in every city we go to, there's a hundred folks that could play the book. Right. As good as I do. Like that aspect of what I do, there's lots of people that could cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there there's an aspect of make make yourself indispensable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, like Clay was saying, it was it was born out of th- these guys are just fun to be with, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm around, so why not? Talk a little bit about the uh, your, your past musical projects because this is definitely not your first rodeo. No, it's definitely not the first band you've been no. leaders of or front man of. Well, I, I started out. Gosh, I started out. Slicks relief. Slicks relief. <laughs> were you? You were just. Oh, this is good. Okay, so no way. It was a slicks relief. It was definitely slicks relief. Slicks okay, so slicks relief is a stupid name, as most of our bands had. <laughs> um, but and it was because where we practiced. Um, the, there was a neighbor. His name was. Everybody called him Slick, and he had a band. And when he couldn't do a gig, he called me. <laughs> That's why we were so late. But, but it was so funny. Is that is that band? The DNA of that band has 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 stuck with us and and been such an amazing thing. I mean, because the drummer of that band was Derek Mixon. It was Derek Mixon who was the drummer for Chris Stapleton, right. who was the drummer for Howard Shaft. My well, the second band, well, the major band, major band, yeah, and then the 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 the, the <laughs> yeah, the bass player for that band was James Cook, who's the bass player for uh, Luke Bryan, who was also the um, bass player for Howard Schaff. So yeah, that was the first band, and that was in high school, and I was a kid playing an alto saxophone in a southern rock band. <laughs> it was like it was like Man. this was this was just not a good fit, right? And and I knew it, but I'm doing everything from playing the tambourine. I literally remember I remember I don't know I don't I don't play piano, but I remember the uh, guitar player teaching me the uh, uh, the keyboard part to Margaritaville. Bah, 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 bah. Jeremy, play this while you're standing here holding your saxophone because you'll be more useful. I'm like, okay, and I had to do the. It was like it was like that. I was playing like a marimba or some whatever that part is. It's awful. Steel drum. It's still drum. Yeah, it was terrible. Anyway, so that was that was my first soiree into the music business. You made yourself dispensable. Uh, very, very dispensable. That's a whole other story. How I found out one day I was no longer in. 
in that band. <laughs> and uh, it kind of crushed my world and uh, whatever, but I got got over it. But that that was just kind of the, the, the first uh, soiree into the music business, and that was high school. Um, and then, I mean, and then we had a few other projects here and there. The, the, mo- the, 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 real, the first significant musical project was Howard Shaft, and that was just, you know, that was when, you know, Clay and I, with a horn section and a, and a rhythm and blues band, a rhythm section, um, and we we toured. We it started out in college and kind of got bigger, and we 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 did two and three, four shows a week. Sometimes the horns were the front men, and we would yeah. we would be up front, all four horns, and we'd play and take turns singing, and we do you know Tower Power and James Brown, and Earth Wind and Fire. Earth, Wind and Fire, and all that kind of stuff, and it was it was it was fun. Just, just it was, fun. and and that. <laughs> That group ran for years and years. We had a lot of fun with it, and and before, right as it was starting to come, kind of come to a close, I started a I think it was a Wednesday night jazz jam uh, with a trio, a bass player who knew how to play jazz, me playing saxophone, who really was an amateur uh, to, to be honest uh, at, at playing jazz standards, and then a drummer, uh, Derek, the, the drummer for um, Chris Stapleton currently. Uh, and we started playing that, and we called it Equinox because somebody thought that was a cool name, Coltrane tune or whatever. And as Howard Shaft ended, I found myself doing more and more of these jazz gigs and kind of learning how to do a jazz gig. And next, This is still in Louisiana. This is still yeah. on Louisiana. Monroe. Um, yeah, and, and so so I guess... Um, like I said, about the time that Howard Shaft ended is when I started the, the Equinox Orchestra. And what I did was I took the best players from the University of Louisiana at Monroe, the best players at Grandland State University, the best players from Louisiana Tech University, and then just the best players from just regionally. And we started every Monday night. I had this big, beautiful rehearsal space, downtown Monroe, and we'd just rehearse. We'd play. We'd just play charts. We'd get together. And it was a bigger band than a regular big band because more guys wanted to come. And we'd set. And the only charts we had, the only tunes we had were stuff that we basically borrowed in quotes from the university you know so they're real they're real and i and i remember i remember you know i asked their university director i was like can we borrow some charts we're trying to start a big band he's like oh no i don't i don't i don't don't really feel good about that you know i was like i was like really okay i was really really shocked so one day i remember the um the librarian of the university on the day he was supposed to put all the charts back he said call me meet me down at Kinko's. We got business to do. And we copied a bunch of music um, just so we'd have something to play. And none of that was ever commercially, nothing we ever took out and did. It was just so us to kind of kind of get get our feet under us. Um, but before long, we actually had booked our first gig, and it was still a bunch of weird, oddball big band charts that had no business being in a, 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 a social event kind of thing. Oh, yeah. They're more of like a concert, heady concert, yeah. Buddy Ritz kind of thing. Right, so I was, I was going to ask, this, this sounds like it started out just for the love of big band. That's yeah. exactly what it was. <clears throat> I was not involved at this point. I was, in, I was married and living in South Louisiana at the point. So okay, was, okay. Yeah. But you didn't have designs on turning this into an engine... Uh, no, not at all. It was it was born out of frustration because in Louisiana Tech University Jazz Band, we we would rehearse all quarter long this great music, and then we'd play for like a midnight president's breakfast in the in the student center when nobody came. Yeah. And it was like, and I went to the director. I was like, I was like, let's take this out and do something with it because yeah. we've worked so hard. The music sounds great. It's fun to play. He was like, oh, nobody. You know, we can't. We, nobody. Yeah, no, no, we, we can't really get a gig. I was like, you'd be kidding me. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, that's exactly what it was. You started out for love of the music, and then eventually it started to become commercially uh, viable. And, and <laughs> over the course of a couple of years, it switched completely, where it all became about the show and the vocals. And, and of course, Clay started to kind of fly in to do some singing mm-hmm. with us. And, um, and then pretty soon, um, everything was about him singing and the, this great band. And it was, so, so it just went from, from one animal to a completely different. Yeah, yeah. So my um, my background, musically speaking, is is different. It's southern gospel. My my mom's dad was a southern gospel singer, uh, acapella, you know, four part harmony, and uh, and I grew up in that. And I even sang while we were in high school when I was in band. I started singing with this with a a gospel quartet that my family had started and uh i was elected to be the lead singer uh with me and my dad and my uncle and then a great bass singer and we were called the heavenly echoes and we toured the church scene and we sang awesome we sang we made two cds made two albums and uh and but anyway so so i did i did the southern gospel thing i remember the album sang. cover you guys on Dude, boat sailboat fantastic man <laughs> really, really. i don't want to make fun of that but I, but i yeah that's my background is in is in uh, acapella gospel southern gospel music and um so that's kind of my and then i got when i went to college with jeremy we started the Started Howard Shaft and uh, and then just kind of went 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 on from there. So that's kind of my, my background. So before before Equinox, before he started like dragging you in to sing, you mm-hmm. were not a jazz singer. N- no, I mean no, not at all. I mean even when we were in college, and and I sang like so we did for two years or three years. We had an opportunity to play Jazz Fest with our college band, and I sang I sang What Is Hip. So they were like, we, we have a great arrangement of what is hip. Uh, who can sing it? And, I'm, and I was like, I, I can sing what is hip. And so, um, so I sang it and you had, had the big band there, and, and, and it was great. Um, we um, when we did like what was some of those other stupid? God. We did uh, Sharia Moore. My Sharia Moore was one. Oh we, there were several vocal charts that we did with the with the college <laughs> band, but I didn't sing. I didn't sing any Frank Sinatra. In fact, the first. Sinatra tune that I sang, I think, was Fly Me to the Moon, the, the big band arrangement of, of Fly Me to the Moon that we did for some 4th of July show um, in, in Monroe, Monroe on, on, on the levee. Yeah, I there. remember that. And, uh, and that was the first time I'd ever done any... And then that and, and Like Be a Lady. And those yeah. were, that was it. That was... Like, before then, I had not sung any, any like, Standards. crooner, right. standard type stuff. And so I still feel like such a novice when it comes to singing all those songs. So, because I, you know. But you've um, come so far. I mean, oh, God. The beginning. That was 15 years on ago. How, yeah. you, so, how, you, how you approach those. Yeah, those even, songs. even the, the way that I, even my, the way that I sing, the, the way that I. The phrasing. The phrasing, and even in my, if you want to use the word Amish, or the way that I that, that I you know position my tongue and my mouth and, and the way I, that, that I hold my jaw and everything, all that changed when I started singing barbershop music, which that's a whole different chapter of my life. When wow. I sang barbershop, yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, we we're in Baton Rouge and I sang barbershop, and it was a it, it you know they taught me how to you know better phrase and better uh, hold my my face and my jaw and right because there I mean there are all kinds of different sort of timbral manipulations. That you can oh sure, yeah, exactly. And and I grew up, you know, in a with the Southern Gospel background. It was almost like 
this big open, wide open. Ah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. this is Southern gospel. And was big alone, and jaw just to the ground, and seeing how big and how long you could hold the note, and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then I, you know, I learned well, that didn't really jive with the whole big band sound, and and it didn't jive with the with you know trying to do Sinatra stuff or Tony Bennett stuff or Dean Martin stuff or whatever. So our, our, um, it's, our, it's been an evolution for sure. Our path great. has to be so completely uniquely different than most people. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, uh, most people I think started, they fell in love with something, you know, like jazz or whatever. And they started practicing their craft and getting better and better and better and better and better. And then they would get opportunity after opportunity. And then they finally would climb the ladder and we just came at it completely in a different oh gosh. way. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's uh, it's kind of an example of there's that I don't know if it's a Facebook meme or whatever, but it's like uh, you know what what people think success looks like, and it's a straight line yeah, yeah, yeah. going up, <laughs> right. and then what success actually looks yeah, like, yeah. and it's a squiggly yeah, like yeah, weird yeah. Yeah. thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. Well, that's, true. That's that's one thing that's good, and, and that's led to uh, more success is that when there's been those setbacks. I mean, that's that's just a new challenge to overcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've in in several instances we've just been complete novices, or should I even say, completely ignorant, ignorant of the trouble work. we're trying to get ourselves into. Yeah. <laughs> like when when we became television producers, sure, exactly. Like like we just said, hey, we didn't we'll do even... a PBS special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then... you're too much. Well, we'll just do it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> and then somebody, and then somebody was like, you know what, you guys are. You're actually producers. We're like, really? We're, we're TV producers? I didn't realize that. Apparently, well, you're when Dad had to our car. You did a thing. We did a thing. It's on TV. <laughs> I guess that's what that means. Oh, man. Okay, so I want to talk about drummers. Uh, drummers are the best. <laughs> we love drummers. We have, we have some strong opinions about drummers. I know. Yeah, no, we're gonna They're all them. good. First of all, uh, Jeremy, just tell me what your hiring criteria are for drummers. Okay. Drummers, gosh, it's such it's such a unique thing. Drummers are 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 different than other players, you know, I think. Because because there are great drummers that I love to play with, but I would only hire them for a small combo gig because they really they just just what they do. They swing so hard. They they play great, but they do not have what it takes to drive the big band. And then some drummers are they're like jazz guys um, and they play, and they and they're really like they know where one is, but God bless me, I don't have a clue where one is, right? And 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 I will say, I will say, brother, let's just say you're way more musically superior to me because I don't know where one is when you're playing. But if I don't know where one is when you're playing, then we have a problem. So because I'm I'm the jerk trying to play here, and so so there are a few guys that play that way generally. Um, one that I think of specifically that, that that I don't really work with a lot. One that I do work with. A lot and he knows me, so he makes one more obvious. He's like, Jeremy, here it is, baby. I'm laying it out for you. Um, um, so you heard it here, working drummer audience, from the guy signing the checks. <laughs> don't hide the one. I'm yeah. telling you. No, I mean, it's like I get and the it. guy singing. Bless his heart. Bless the guy singing. Because I have no idea where. If I can't find one, oh I'm lost. God. We're gonna get to right. you in a minute. But, but, but you're right. It's like the, specifically with the big band. It's such a different animal, and you know this, Zach. It's it's a unique skill set. Because there's a lot of um, uh, 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 intuitiveness, I guess, that has the. There's a lot around the notes on the page that you have to know, yeah. and I learned this the hard way. I mean, I had an arranger for a time that worked for me that wrote 
80% of my charts who did not write drum charts. And this is before you came along. But literally, the drum part would be eight pages of rests. Hash marks. And yeah, slashes. Just slashes. Yeah. And, and all that stuff went in the trash can and was transcribed by really um, uh, uh, amazing drummers like from North Texas or Angry North Florida. Angry. Who, who, were, who were not happy about having to deal with this. But they did. They, they put it down into a one-page thing that a drummer could sit down and they could do it. But you're right. The drummer... This has been my perspective, and this this may be a little bit of an overstatement, but you get the point. You can hire the greatest group of horn players on planet Earth. Let's just say you got 13 of the greatest horn players that ever lived, and then you put an average-sounding drummer on the band, and guess what? The band will sound average. If you put a bunch of pretty decent high school horn players, and you put a burning drummer in there, and the band is going to cook. It <laughs> shouldn't make sense, but it totally does. So the drummer has a disproportionate amount of responsibility to be fantastic. Um, because, again, in big band, there's all these setups, there's all these kicks and pops and booms and things that happen in between the music. Sugabooms. And I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even know how much of that's written. I don't even know. I know some of it's written. I know that a lot of it is just something that a good big band drummer knows this is supposed to go here um, and uh, so that's my perspective uh, and, and when I'm hiring drummer there's only especially for the big band there's only there's only five or six guys that I'll call mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and um, we, we've learned the hard way <laughs> this lesson um, again not knocking anybody but there's a lot of great drummers that we've used in recent years for big band shows and the big band just fell flat because there was no drive there was no push there was no fire there was no explosion coming from the back of the band mm-hmm. and uh, and and even after I would communicate, say, hey, look, I need more. I need you to drop bombs in this section. I need you to really lead from the back of the band. Yeah. And um, and after that, this didn't happen. I realized that that is a great drummer who just doesn't – I am putting them in the wrong place. Let's put them when we have a great quintet gig or maybe a septet gig or maybe just a, a cool little quartet or whatever. They will be spectacular, but just not when it comes to driving the big band. I remember the first uh, couple of gigs that I played with Equinox. Like my my uh, instinct in a big band is to be kind of a dick. <laughs> Good, for lack, for lack of a better. That's term. what you need. Nailed it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Wait, did I say that out loud? Okay. No, like from from the drum chair in a big band, you can kind of impose your will on a band, definitely in various ways, and and some of it's through volume, and some of it's through tempo, and some of it's just kind of an intangible like I own all you. <laughs> you people um, follow me. But yeah. I, I noticed that the first couple of gigs I played with with Equinox, like the the more I did that, the more you'd kind of turn around and be like, Yeah, yeah man, that's just, right, that's just it. Get it to me. Yeah. That's, that's what you gotta, yeah. And it's a funny story. I, I, it's a good story, and I'm probably gonna screw it up, and you probably know it better than I do. Uh, Zach, but there's a story of the first time. Um, was it? Ben, uh, it was Benny Goodman, I think. Uh, Benny Goodman was playing in Carnegie Hall, and it was the first big band, first jazz show ever. Oh yeah! And everybody goes in there. Everybody's in their tails and tucks and the whole thing. And this is in the. I don't remember. We used to know the date. It was in the. I don't remember. If it's the early. Late 30s, early 40s. You can Google it. You I can Google it while you pull out your Google machine. Anyway, here's the scene. The band plays. It's awkward. People are uncomfortable with this music in this venue, and the band's playing really timidly, and you can tell it. And then all of a sudden, Gene Krupa lights 
a fuse in the back of the band. And, and um, uh, uh, there's another um, uh, com- commentary that he guy tells a story better than I do, obviously. But the solo that he plays at this one spot in the music really doesn't like a, make a lot of musical sense, but it makes all the sense in the world in the context. He's basically saying, guys, get on my back. I'm driving this boat. Yeah. Let's kick some serious butt. Wake up. Wake up. That's exactly <laughs> what he does. And from that point forth in the rest of the show... Everything was different. Yeah. And it was just because the drummer took the lead in lighting the fuse on the thing and it made everything different. I think, I, I agree with Jeremy that the drum, the, the drummer, you know, has a lot of freedom too. And that's, that's not to be abused. Mm-hmm. Right. So we were talking about telling us where one is, but uh, the drummer can tighten up the band with some really great setups. Mm-hmm. And, and even one thing that has happened just in the last couple of weeks on this tour was, um, I just thought I, I thought it spoke to how well you listen to what's going on, and you're not just sitting there concentrating on me, right? Mm-hmm. You're 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 trying to make this whole thing work better. Is Clay says the word bell, and then boom, yeah. right on the end, yeah. you hit the bell of your ride <laughs> symbol. Yeah. I was like, yeah. that's, See, good. that's paying attention. That's, good. that's like that's good. thinking uh, about how you can add in a relevant way without being distracting as. Yeah, you know, animal from the Muppets. Right. You know? right. So I will hear no ill words against animal. I animal. I animal. <laughs> you know, we love the Muppets in our show. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Clay, I want to talk about the drummer from from your perspective okay. because you you have been a singer and a frontman in in many different musical contexts, from yeah. from R and B to big band to, to whatever. Right. Um, so how does how does the drummer affect what you do for better or for worse? Um, it, energy. I mean, it, it's it, the, the the energy of the energy of the, that I. I mean, and, and I, I I don't realize it until I miss it. Mm-hmm. And when I when I miss the energy, then I'm then I'm knowing okay, then that's that's something's what, not, that's, that, not right. Something's not not clicking right. So. Um, I mean the, the the energy, even if it's a even if it's, if it's a ballad. I mean mm-hmm. the, the energy that the, the drummer brings to that is, uh, I think that's that that's what what drives me. I mean, I, I, of course, you know, like I told you, I sang a cappella yeah. for you know all my growing up years. I sang without any instruments at all, um, but having the instruments come along. I mean, I I, I call singing in front of a, of, of a big band like. Like just standing in front of a freight train because it's just like I don't have any control. I'm I'm basically riding this wave created for me by the rhythm section, by the horns, and I just get to kind of dance on top and and you know that any moment could pummel you and kill you. Any moment, <laughs> any moment. That's a good. That's a good. That's a good visual. Yeah, any moment could pummel me and kill me, but. <laughs> Smashed on the rock, and it has happened before. I think a few times. I've been like completely uh, overthrown by the band, but yeah, I'm just um, that the, the drummer has uh, brings such an energy to to what I do. I, I think, and um, something you know, I've noticed about your singing is that you, I think your your instinct is to be very free with time. Yes. Yeah. 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 The, the more the more solid the time underneath you yeah. is, the more freedom you have to make. That's it. That's to great. make your phrasing very speech like, and uh, do you know what I'm talking? about? No, no, no. You, I mean, you, yeah. you said it well. I, I I I was watching a documentary. Um, I mean, this was 
this is a while back. I watched a documentary about um, about Louis Armstrong, and and they were it was some poet talking about Louis Armstrong about how when he would sing, he would. Um, speed the words up really quickly, and then he would slow the words down a whole lot, and and he would do that in a real poetic and a, and a beautiful way to um to to get his point across, and that really stuck with me. So I've always, whenever there's a solid rhythm section, a solid drum behind me, I've really kind of felt comfortable with the freedom of being able to to interpret a song um, a little more loosely. Um, based on kind of what's uh, what's going on, if I knew that, that, that the band was what, as long as we know where one's as, as long as you know where one, <laughs> and, and, I, and, and in those cases, sometimes I don't even have to know where one is, or at least I don't. I'm not worried about where one is because I know I, I know where it's going to be. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm, I'm not there's, thinking there's about not, where is there's one. No guessing. I, there's no guessing. I don't have to. I mean, the the beauty of what we do, and I really, I, I'm so grateful for. For having the, the guys that, that are behind me is that I don't I don't worry mm-hmm. about about the band falling apart or about about anybody being about uh, musically about <laughs> maybe an emotional train wreck. But <laughs> otherwise, uh, when we're on stage, I'm I don't worry at all. And so, but we have been on stage with guys before that that I've worried, and it and that I think the the worry and the uncertainty and, and not being able to trust the guys behind me. I think it really translates in in, in how I deliver a song. Mm, um, but but when I can, when I have no concerns at all about the guys that are behind me, then it's it, it makes it so e- so easy. So, um, and that's all kind of rooted in in a, in a great drummer for sure. So, kudos to you, man. Oh, for a long time, Equinox was just a band. You played gigs and you got paid. Right. Uh, but in recent years, uh, you've been uh, trying to establish uh, a kind of a philanthropic service-oriented arm mm-hmm. of, of the band. Talk about that. Um, gosh, Zach, that's such a, you know, it, it's something that's near and dear to the three of us. And, you know, we can start by saying this um, for your listening audience. I am a uh, working pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I preach every Sunday morning, and I grew up in a family of preachers and 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 church workers. So I grew up in that. Jeremy works every, every Sunday morning when you're not in a bus. When with, I'm not with twelve in a bus, uh, stinky derelicts. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm basically. Uh, I get to teach the Bible, which I love doing. I love taking the Bible and and talking about it, and teaching from it, and learning from it, and and gaining for myself, and and passing that on to, to others as well. Jeremy's a deacon of his church. Tommy's a worship leader at his church, and so um, we we already kind of have this. Uh, not to say that that in itself is philanthropic, but but we we all are interested in the deeper the, the deeper layers of those. Um, uh, those religious leanings, the, the the deeper layers of those are in you know love your neighbor, um, serve those in need, and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's really kind of what that is what this is rooted in. What, what yeah, we we uh, took a trip to India and Clay's been there several times, and and that for me was a huge eye opener. It's like you know seeing people just deeply impoverished to the degree to where no one in America is as poor as as the average person in India. Right. I don't I don't know if that's a true statistic, but it's like the deep poverty that's there is unparalleled. Um, 
but but that's one thing. But even if, helping people down in Louisiana who were uh, struggling, or, or uh, even trying to be relevant, helping a church, uh, a little struggling church uh, in Canada, be relevant in their community. The, the fact is. Uh, that the big band is such a unique musical vehicle, and people will gather around it. People will come. I had I had someone tell me the other day. Some, some people, uh, it was a guy from a church said people would never come to our church, but they will come to big band show all day long. And all we want to do is be friends with these people, yeah. with our community. All we want to do is be friends, and all we want to do is love them and serve them. And that's that's the mo of many of the churches that we are, are friends with. So, so the um, uh, the band is just kind of serves as a is a really really unique uh, connecting point, and uh, so so it, it, it kind of started. Uh, Clay's done a lot of mission work um, uh, all over the world, and and he ended up dragging me to India, and that's kind of where where we had the idea. You know, we really could use this band to serve people in need, um, physical need, spiritual need, just, and just in love really. And not even, and I don't want people who listen to this to think that this is about a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. We're talking about loving people and connecting people, which is the true, uh, message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it, sometimes it gets misconstrued into a bunch of churchiness, which mm-hmm. is our, it, me personally is, is like my mantra. Like I am mm-hmm. not into just doing church for the purpose of doing church You're and we all about tangible acts of service. T- tangible acts of service which again is absolutely the core of the message of Jesus right. but but again it gets lost on people um, so 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 uh, it, honestly regardless of how where people's faith are people I think can line up around serving and loving people sure. no matter how who they are if they have no religious affiliation whatsoever um, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about because regardless of your religious background or your specific motivation right as as a musician as a band whatever you are there you know I, I think any musician any band can uh, point their efforts at least in part to that kind of service oriented yeah. uh, performing or well even the, the essence of what we do as musicians is to bring joy to people's life mm-hmm. I mean we're entertainers we're on a stage in hopes that people will come and listen and be enlightened transported. and be transported and be changed and so I mean our, our whole job is, as musicians is to be able to touch people on a deeper level than just than just cognitive see a movie. Right, right right yeah i mean this is what we do with live art whether it's music or whether it's dance or whether it's theater or whatever it is the whole purpose of live art and live entertainment is to reach people on a really deep level that they couldn't that they couldn't be met just by reading a book or just by having a conversation with somebody and so, and I think when we understand that, then that gives us, you know, a lot of responsibility and a lot of uh, a, a lot of influence. If, if we'll take it and realize yeah. that it can be for good, that we can do good things by by re- reaching people, bringing them joy, and helping them, and, and all those kinds. Yes. Yeah, so practically, I mean, some of the most profound things that we've done musically um, have been around the mission stuff. It's like to be able to play. In a nursing home in the other side of Europe, right? For these old people, for us to be there and playing for them and just mm-hmm. to see their smiles on the face. I remember two or three of those sweet little old ladies in this Polish nursing home getting up and dancing with right. Jose and whatever, right. <laughs> dancing with the guys in the band. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we ended the day by painting the walls of the place, right? And that was a huge thing. Uh, and then the next day, we were at a an orphanage 
where these children were disabled, and and disabled children in foreign countries are not like disabled children in America. Um, a lot of times in foreign countries, it's seen as a disgrace, and they're just locked away. So that's the kind of situation we walked into in this orphanage. And these sweet, sweet babies. I mean, these Down syndrome kids and kids fetal alcohol syndrome. And we just go and play and watch. It was just, it was just like, it was like four or five of us. And we had, we had the horns and and um, great drummer uh, Greg Sadler, Sadler playing the cone. The cone <laughs> and played and and to watch these little kids, their faces light up. Um, you know, it, 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 again, was just for us was fulfillment on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And and if, if I had my way, I would be doing five or six of those a year. Foreign right. missions, local stuff, just doing doing more of a full time doing that because and, and then and then obviously continuing what we're doing with with, uh, with this tour. And so short of uh, you know going to to Europe and, and doing that kind of thing or Nova Scotia or India or any other places right. you've been what is your advice for musicians who who feel a sense of mission the way you do for a certain cause, whether it's religious or not? What is your advice for, for musicians and bands who, who want to start doing that kind of work? I, I think all you do is you just you just do it. That's kind of my motto. It's like you plan it and you do it. You fig, you'll figure out how to do it, whatever it is. Um, some, some musicians... Some artists, friends of mine, think they have to have the greatest, most well-conceived, funded plan before they start doing things. Sure. That's me. That's you. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> right, right. We I'm, will do a gig yeah. on the moon. Let's right. book it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So but, I would yeah. say the same kind of thing. And, and, and that's that's the thing that, that everybody has to fight against is the whole idea of trying to plan it all out first. Because it's, Don't plan it. it. It's, it's just not book. Be, it's Go down to the VA and play for those veterans. Mm-hmm. Or go to the nursing home, or go to the homeless shelter, or go play for you know. It gets more complicated when you've got people that work for you and they you know, they make a living playing. Right. <laughs> so either you're going to find people who are just equally motivated, and usually a band is that way. You know, you're you got five or six guys who all kind of you know jive on the same level, and and um, uh, so whatever your your form. I mean, of- we've been going down to the Jewish Educational Alliance in Savannah and and playing for this group every week. We've done it two or three times, or yeah. we, and they bring in these kids that are there for the that the, the, the JEA has a daycare. They bring all right. the, all these little kids in, uh-huh. and they'll sit them down, and we'll just we'll play for them. So, we'll, so we'll, you're playing we'll play. for eighty year old people and eight year old people. And at the there same are time. <laughs> there are so many opportunities to do that, and you're not going to get paid anything, but you're still going to have an opportunity to bring joy to people's life. That's what speaks well too about the way y'all run this thing. You know, um, yeah. People, pe- people feel valued playing with Equinox. I think it just with the way they're treated. I mean, we're we're rolling on this bus that's pretty cool, mm-hmm. um, and and those kind of things. So when you ask somebody to do one of these low paying jobs or no paying right. jobs, like it's so irregular that somebody that's not always involved is 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 not there right yeah. right you know there's so many guys that are playing every job including the no paying ones because they're 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 so well taken care of in other ways and I think that also speaks to the service part of mm-hmm. of equinox like it makes sense yeah. that you want to take the service other places and people want to go along with you because they've they personally experienced service mm. Right? They feel served and feel valued. I've overheard a lot of conversations that the three of you have had sure. about the business end of booking this band, the various types of gigs you do, 
and uh, it it seems like your your strategy uh, is to throw a hundred things at the wall and and hope that five or six of them stick. That is every day of my life. That is what I do. And 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 to be honest with you, I mean, I, my path has been different. I went to business school, and um, so I think that is the one of the biggest parts of what's different about this. You know, because most musicians, as you know, will avoid anything remotely close to business or math or writing or anything that's actually practical in life. Like the plague when they go to school. I mean, I know I have friends of mine who who literally are about to graduate and they're taking remedial math or they're taking a business class or a speech class. Um, my path is different. I took business and I and I and, and so I I do have a under a more of a, a fundamental understanding of business. But that's exactly right, Zach. What my job is every day is I get up, I turn the computer on. And I write a big to-do list of all that I'm going to, I'm going to do. I'm going to call this club. I'm going to call this uh, private venue. I'm going to call this. I'm going to write this thing. I'm going to do a constant contact blast to these people. I'm going to talk to this. I'm going to do, I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I'm literally going to spend the entirety of the day throwing all these things against the wall. And PBS is in there. And then there's this European thing in there. And then there's a cruise thing in there. And then there's the gig next week in there. There's a church thing. There's a wedding. There's a church thing. I'm going to throw all that in there. And then if I throw enough... Every single day, we'll all be in the money. That's the general rule. If I only work for three hours a day um, and I take a real light and I only work for three days in the week or if I were to really stop doing all that, then the money train would stop. You know, because because people do call us and the phone does ring. But we, I, I, I'm a firm believer. We're we're a firm believer that that you that is what it is what you make of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so, driven by effort. It's driven by it's effort. Exactly. It's it's and, and that is such a foreign, horrifying thought to some musicians. I get it. I get it. It's like you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just not just about the effort, but just about this whole business thing. It's like, guess what? You're in a business, yeah, and it's and it is very much a business. What we always tell the kids when we do um, educational outreach is, you can go, you can get a, a doctorate from the greatest music school on planet Earth in how to play the saxophone better. You can spend ten years studying the saxophone, and that's just okay. Now you're now you can play the gig, right? You know, whatever. You, you I mean there's fifty dudes who can play the gig, um, and and the people who are going to get the gig are going to be people who understand business. Um, like you said earlier, they understand how to make themselves invaluable. They understand um, what really makes the world tick. Um, but yeah, that that's what I do every day. I, I'm, I'm throwing 50 things against the wall and just, um, and that's what pe- sales people do, you know, and that's, and I'm not delusional about it. This is, we're, we're selling the band and that's, that's right. the deal. So I'm throwing as much out there as I can every day and uh, in hopes that we land a big fish uh, every so often. Yeah. And we've talked a lot of, on this podcast about, um, you know, drum, drummers are sidemen. Drummers are not typically band leaders. We're not typically typically the guys making the calls and doing the pitch and sure. all that. Um, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you all is because we talk about people like you all the time, right, but right. Uh, we, we don't really... We haven't really heard from you on the podcast sure. mm-hmm. about what your day to day is like, and you know, and keeping a band working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the, this 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 tour because this is the longest run that Equinox has done. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a monumental task. It's been a lot of people have worked really hard to make this thing come to come to pass. That guy right there. Tommy. That guy right there. Well, even before Tommy, because Tommy has spent a considerable amount of effort. But but a year, five years ago, we started this conversation about this tour, and it was with the guys who. Who, an agency, agency friends of ours in Nashville, and it was like, okay, well, the time wasn't right for us to do it this year. Well, the time's not right for us to do it next year. The time's not right. Finally, the time is right. We went to a big showcase, performed for uh, exclusive uh, theater bookers in Nashville, and we slayed it. It was I the mean, biggest fifteen minutes. Oh my god, it really <laughs> yeah. was. We we played for fifteen minutes and ended in a standing ovation, which is rare among presenters because presenters are hard people to move. When I say presenters, I mean the people who book the theaters. That Those are presenters. Right, and we should just take a minute and say that the majority of the gigs on this tour are through an agency. Correct. Live on stage. Yes. Um, and it's this entire infrastructure of theaters all over the country. with Community some, concert series. Subscription yes. bases. Right. And so this, you know, you, it's... I, I think uh, musicians and bands are under the impression that they have to do the legwork on an individual basis for right. every venue and every gig. Exactly. They play. But there are networks, whether it's the wedding thing you were talking about, right. the engaged thing, or this live on stage agency. You're right. So, so this one was it was it was like about right. five or six year. Um, relationship with this agency before we finally got our opportunity to, to do it, and they did most of the legwork on the front end. They, they knew they they w- the band sold itself. We played, they loved it, and then they closed the deals. They set it all up, and then I worked really hard to fill in um, the gaps because you know basically they. Um, they couldn't send us to Wyoming without something close to it, right? Because obviously, who wants to drive to Wyoming and spend three days from Savannah? From Savannah. <laughs> so there was rules. They did all that stuff. And I, I contracted, I, I booked a bunch of shows around, kind of did, did the routing. And then Tommy stepped up to the plate and contacted every single one of those venues, figured out where, how we were getting there, um, where we were going to stop. Uh, I gave him a budget on the hotels, and he's done a great job of kind of staying on target or, 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 or far below what we thought we would be spending. Mm-hmm. So it has been a, a real monumental effort. 18,000 miles, a total of 54 dates, I think, yeah. out, 54 different cities that we'll have been in. Um, and that's really just the 2017 part of... That's this true. whole live on stage thing, because we already had two, I think it was a seven day and a 10 day or 10 day and 12 day. It was in short, 2016 in, yeah. in the, in right. late fall. fall and went early winter of right. 2016. And let's not forget the fly out to Sioux Falls in February. Oh, Who no. doesn't like South Dakota? It actually wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. It was cold, but it wasn't. It was 34. It was a dry cold. It was a dry cold. It was a dry cold. Where did we fly into? We flew into Aberdeen. 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 We went from Savannah to Atlanta to Minneapolis to Aberdeen. And Aberdeen is where they had the. The, the the greeting the lady had the oh yeah we flew into the jetway at yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> out of all the things we've done because we good again we like you said for the baggage carousel that was like a little it was, it was like, one little thing like, like a lazy susan on a <laughs> table <laughs> they just kind of went <laughs> yeah that's pretty accurate but so, so it, this is a huge undertaking for a lot of reasons took a lot of people a lot of work and you know, to do all this and 
it was very, very, very expensive too. I mean, obviously, <laughs> if you take a, you roll out with a with a forty um, five foot tour bus with the sleeps twelve, that's really expensive. And so for me, my life, I spent six months living with a budget, um, with a massive budget breakdown, having every single date, fifty four dates, subtotaling into a zero sum, adding up at the end of the day, figuring all that out. Six months of my life, and, and honestly. It, it, I can see it reflected in the rest of this of my life after this tour is over because there's been such amount of work on the tour, um, but that's just you know um, you know one of those things that, that happens you know you can't focus on everything at once. Um, what I was going to say is we've done two week tours, we've done seven day tours, we've done ten day tours, but never have we undertaken something so um, so huge. Um, so w- mm-hmm. I think we're do- I think we're we're more than maybe we're halfway through it or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's great. We've learned a lot as things always go. I usually learn things the hard way. Uh, I learned how that, that's, I always joke about the band Howard Chef because I learned how not to do everything in that band, but I still find myself learning uh, along the way how how to deal with people, how to deal with uh, money, how to deal with. Uh, <clears throat> Just you know, interpersonal things. Um, so it's been a, it's been a challenge, but it's been it's been awesome. Yeah, and it, it's it's given me uh, just from the musician's perspective uh, a huge amount of appreciation and and uh, respect and um, consideration for what you all are doing. Because when when I put it in perspective of like six months of your life living with spreadsheets and you, Tommy, dealing with like hotels, the venues, the day-to-day shit of a tour. Right. You yeah. know, I think about my question of like, is there is there a washing machine in this hotel? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, but that's I think, a great I question. Think, I think, when's when's dinner? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, so so Tommy, talk about talk about the day-to-day uh, workings of, of keeping a band on the road. Because you're, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Tommy is shouldering the majority of the. Oh, day. thank God don't he is! Don't, <laughs> don't tell him that. I'll say don't this. Don't I'll say, say this before Tommy even answers that question. Probably the, one of the greatest joys in my life right now is that I don't know where I am. I don't know what time we're leaving. I don't know where we're going, and I do not care. And no one ever comes to me to ask that information, which is so not ever the case. I take great pleasure in having such an awesome, uh, awesome person who's now dealing with all that. So, right, it's awesome. Yeah, I guess there's you know there's a lot of details that have to be dealt with ahead of time, Um, and and honestly, speaking to the fact that we just jump in fires. You know, right. with absolutely no knowledge of what we're getting into, we've had we've had helpful people along the way, and that's no different with my personal uh, part of this story. Um, you know, we've had a bus driver that says, "Hey, this is how you're a tour manager." Yeah. <laughs> He's been doing it for forty two years. So like, he knows what's up. See, I didn't know that. You know, it, it, I've never showed up to a hotel and wondered where I was going to park. Yeah, yeah. So it never occurred to me that I should ask, yeah. "Do you have parking for a bus that's forty five feet with another twenty foot of trailer?" Yeah. Right. That just never was on my radar, and it makes complete and perfect sense. Yeah. But I never thought of it. Until like the fourth night that we tried to park at a hotel, um, and then you know one of the things that I realized is every one of these concert series has a way they've always done it, and and yeah. and that's and that's uh, it's legitimate different. to them, 
But then we've had a way that we've tried to, quote unquote, always do it. Mm -hmm. And seldom do those two always (laughs) done it ways line up. So, you know, having to deal with showing up and and things not being exactly as you planned and then putting together that, as Jeremy says, hilarious plan B about how to make this experience awesome for the crowd. You know, I I shoulder some of that responsibility and luckily these guys are insightful enough to help me when I'm irrational about things. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there's a a lot of advance in getting a show together. Yeah. And so, you know. Talk talk about that for a second. Like, what are what are the questions that you ask a venue before we show up there? Um, I ask, do you have showers? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. because that's that's important. Uh, every, every it's important for me that everybody else get to shower, mm-hmm. and it's important to the individual that they get to shower. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I want to know how hard is it to get the bus where we need to be. Right. So. I will ask questions about parking, but then I'm also going to verify it on this great tool called Google Maps. Mm-hmm. And if I see that everything is really like, if, if we, we've played a lot of small towns, so, you know, the average person says, yeah, that's no problem. I remember we were in one town and for two and a half weeks, I'm talking to the same individual and we're talking about the bus. And he's like, yeah, professional bus drivers do this all the time. So I'm feeling really encouraged about what's about to take place. And the second we show up, I was like, hey, man, my driver doesn't feel comfortable about this. And the same guy that's been telling me this is done all the time just, yeah, it's always tough with trucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, we've been talking about this for a while, man. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, we want to make sure we want to make sure everybody's fed. We've got to make sure there's enough power because we can bring all the gear. And if you don't have enough breakers in your in your in your breaker box, you know, if we're all going to hook up to the same circuit running lights and, and, and monitors and main PA and, 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 uh, all, all the other things that go on to making the product happen, then, uh, the, the, the just the smallest detail can get in the way of success or, or, or just, you know, feeling like you're accomplishing something. And sometimes it's the biggest detail, because I, I know for a fact you've had conversations with a point man for every one of these theaters that we've played. Yeah. And yeah. most of the time it's fine. Right. But sometimes you spend weeks on the phone with a person saying, here's what we need, what do you have, what do we need to supplement, and there we had about two weeks ago, yes. we were in a town that shall remain nameless, <laughs> uh, uh, and... Well, I, we... Sh- well, we had been talking, and I remember talking to the the main guy at the venue that morning. Right, and that morning. That morning. <laughs> I mean, we're four hours away from the job, and I'm reconfirming that he's going to provide X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z is PA, main mics, PA, mic stands, mic, boards, <laughs> mic stands, stands, riser, right. uh, the soundboard, and a professional sound engineer to run the show. And we show up to the theater, and, and there's a piano sitting in the middle of the stage. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh my god! And, and <laughs> so immediately it goes from like not ten minutes ago. I've told everybody on the bus, "Hey guys, it's going to be a really easy." We're fun. just going to take in our instruments. We're going to sit down. We're going to play. We're going to check the lines, and it's going to be done. <laughs> to everything off the bus, <laughs> you know. Let's set it all. Yeah. We've got to run a snake. We've got to find out that these antiquated speakers. Uh, we've got to do everything. Everything exactly. And and so we bypassed every single bit 
of of their built-in infrastructure and did the thing ourselves. But that also speaks to the, the, the greatness of the guys being hired, that they're not just guys that play the book. They're folks that feel invested in and then want to invest or reinvest in the band yeah. because everybody's grabbing stuff. Everybody's running cables. Everything's making sure, you know, we've done enough of these jobs. Everybody has a general idea about where supposed stuff is supposed to go, uh-huh. how it's supposed to be set up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. what's wild is I was talking with our bus driver just a couple of days ago and I'm like, sound checks at 4.30. He's like, so what time are we going to get there? I said, I don't know, 4 o'clock. And he's like, you're kidding. <laughs> right? How do you go from an empty stage with just a piano on it to 30 minutes having basically 98% of the stuff ironed out, ready to go? It's just a team just, effort. Yeah. You're just dealing with EQ. And that's just so many of the guys in the band, they all know to take care of their own stuff. And then when their own stuff is dealt with, okay, deal with the community stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, then, and it, yeah. Even, even when those gaffes happen, it's frustrating because I feel like I've done a lot of work. I feel like I'm a good communicator. <laughs> I feel like I've received an understanding like, okay, now let me hear you say it. Yeah. And then they say, yes, we will provide blah, blah, blah. And we show up. There's a piano in the middle of the stage. Yeah. But somehow, 45 minutes later... We're ready to go. Most of it's ironed out. We get to play a show. I think one of the big takeaways from this whole conversation about about that, just hearing Tommy talk about it, is just maintaining flexibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, like even the show last night, we got there. There was some they there was a, some miscommunications, but after we talked for a few minutes, we realized that that they could do a lot more than we thought they could do. And then once we got into it. We realized that they really had almost no level of expertise, even in the gear that they had. They had really nice gear, but they didn't know how to run it. So I'm, I, instead of doing what I would love to do, is like warming up and getting my music together, I'm in the sound booth telling the guy how to EQ the piano, right? <laughs> which, which I know how to do, but I don't want to do. Right. And, and then, of course, here is um, 10 world-class musicians sitting on stage for at least 30 minutes, while we struggle through this. And to a man, everybody was cool. And I think that is a huge takeaway. Yeah. Um, it's inconvenient sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't go down like it should. Sometimes, like we'll walk into, when we go to Henderson, North Carolina, we're going to walk in. Everything is going to be perfect. Everything will be handled. Everything will be done totally pro. It'll be quick, easy, and fine. And, and it'll be first class. And then there'll be 10 shows between then that we're going to have to have a lot of patience and just and just really know that hey look you know we got a job to do let's work together let's all be patient and and uh, because I know I I have a tendency to 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 get excited and 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 get upset and Tommy's the same way and Clay rarely gets upset um, but <laughs> but that's the way I am so I have to be aware of that and just try to be cool I th- and honestly I think that that's one of the biggest things that I've learned or maybe maybe one of the things I've grown in in this tour is just Trying to be cool, you know what I mean? Well, that's, I think that's something that works well for us. You know, I, if I've got to go have a difficult conversation, I, I really enjoy Jeremy being there because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna start to get lit, then right. then you know he's gonna notice it because, like you just said, we're so much alike. Cut each other and, off, and hey, right. and hey, if if Jeremy's the one, you know, I can just put my hand on his shoulder, you know, like hey, yeah. we gotta we can't forget about whatever, right. and then that you know there, there's just gonna be these cues among us. Hey, like remember, we're we're here to 
to perform a service for some folks. Yeah. And this tour has been a good lesson for me because this this is the first time I've done a long run like this. You know, not unlike you guys. I've I've been out for a few days. I've been out for a week here and there. But being out for weeks and a couple months at a time <laughs> is a different beast. And I'm I'm someone who is attached to my routines. Oh yeah. I yeah. don't think of myself as a flexible person. No. I can get impatient and dark <laughs> in, in in a hurry. <laughs> Um, but but being on this tour and just dealing with those kind of situations, dealing with twelve dudes on a bus, um, especially and, twelve musicians who are all amazing. It's like yeah. a it's a yeah yeah it's a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah yeah. But it's it's been it's been just a good lesson for me in patience, in flexibility, yeah. in, in uh, all all those things that I usually suck at. Yeah, man. Uh, that's um, true. This tour is partially sponsored by Visit Savannah. Oh! And the fact yes. that you guys live in Savannah or are based in Savannah, is it's a big part of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only is it a, a, a big part of the show in an artistic way that connects with people, but it's also paying some bills. It is. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And, and we kind of stumbled upon it. Um, well... We have a relationship with the city of Savannah, um, the, the tourism part of, of, of the city, Visit Savannah. They, they, their job is to bring people to Savannah. And we had worked with them in the past um, where they had sponsored our, some of our PBS special stuff. And um, we just kind of hatched a plan to say, let's go down and talk to them about um, sponsoring the show. We already talk about it. It's a natural thing. It's part of, part of the deal already. And we put a proposal in front of them that said, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. We're going to, not only are we going to talk about the show, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to, uh, we're even going to uh, make sure that all these little visitors guys from Savannah go out. And we asked them for a fairly sizable um, amount of money, and they said yes, which was, which was fantastic. I mean, it, it really was, all, the budgeting was done before we even factored that in. So it, um, it was just kind of a, a bonus on top to, to cover some, other expenses or whatever, like the trailer and all, all the kind of the different things you have to have to roll in the big bus. The trailer we had wouldn't work, um, so that was a good thing. And there is a, there's a lot, there's a big part of this. Um, th there's a lot of opportunities for extra revenue income streams if you're creative about it. Yes, creative about it. And uh, there's some really big ones that we were not able to capitalize this tour that we will capitalize on on next tour. Um, but just being able to monetize what you do, and that was uh, kind of a, a, a blessing, a surprise. Uh, it kind of came about at the last minute. But they're good people. They believe in what we do. And you, you've not only monetized what you do, because like most bands are monetizing what they do, but sure. you, you found a way to monetize what you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you tie your story into the show. Mm -hmm. You tie the fact that yeah. you're from Savannah and aspects of Savannah. Sure. You know, the fact that Johnny yeah. Mercer was born there and you mm -hmm. play Johnny Mercer songs in yeah. the show. Um, but it's, it's just a great example to me of, of you know, I think, I think the best shows and the best musicians give a part of themselves whatever mm. part of them is unique right. they're able to impart that in the show um, but what I didn't really think about before playing in this band is is if you can identify what's unique about you and monetize mm. it yeah, boy uh, yeah, then you get some gold right yeah yeah, yeah well, we're, we're, we're fortunate and, and it all again it stems from relationships you know that really so much of this business is relationships really and is. that is a one that was um and it, it should be said you weren't you weren't able to do that uh without having lived in savannah for the last 10 oh, years absolutely yeah. <laughs> you can't absolutely. just move to savannah just and then go to the visit savannah no. right. board and like, right you know. exactly it's because we knew them they believed in us they'd been to our shows we'd spent a lot of time inviting them to our shows and kind of cultivating that relationship 
relationship. And uh, and eventually it started to pay off. Well, when we got involved with the arts conferences, the arts markets, we started going to these regional arts conferences and nothing happened. We'd go set up our booth and with all of our CDs and all of our stuff and people would come by and talk to us, but nothing happened. And then, you know, people said, look, just... You know, we had a few wise people who said, look, word of the wise, nobody's going to do anything with you guys until you've, until you've been invested in this community for sure. three or four or five years. And sure enough, you know, four years later, the offers start rolling in and we start doing a lot more theater gigs and all that kind of stuff. But it had to do with the relationships that we developed with all these people and it, all these presenters like, and these exactly. theaters. It's about. like you said, it wasn't so much the sales pitch, it's the relationship. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I mean, obviously I'm a salesperson. I, I had to do that for a living. I sold radio, I sold newspaper, I sold pianos, I sold all kinds of stuff. So all those skills come in handy for me today. But when it comes to the band, I don't really have to sell the band. The band sells itself. What my job is to do is to build those great relationships and 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 uh, and, and start to harvest some good from those when it's appropriate. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's that's uh, makes when, it's when a lot easier. Right. Yeah, when, when the time's, the time's right. right, it's a lot easier than just selling and coming up with and a great sales pitch. You can you can sell the band if you have to, but if you right. create good relationships, you don't have that's to. That's it. Right. That's it, man. That's, that's, that's totally it. Uh, yeah. When we go to these conferences, like Clay said, we're not selling. We're just renewing friendships. Yeah, and nice. that is the goal. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about is, speaking of getting people fed, uh, is eating on the road. And, and we all take our foods pretty seriously. Yes, we do. Um, mm. But... Uh, one thing you hear musicians talk about when it comes to being on the road is that it's terrible for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so we we figured out we figured out a workaround. And uh, Tommy, tell tell the people what we've been doing on the road. Um, just before we went on the last tour, we got a grill to go with us. Right. And we're probably not the first people to do no, this. Certainly but, not. But. I want to. I want to shout it from the rooftops that you can eat well and eat healthy on the road. Yes, and this is no regular grill either. This is a kind of a super. Grill. So we've got a, like a pellet smoker. Yeah, and so uh, the fuel is fed in by this auger, and we can set different temperatures. And it's 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 easy to start. It's quick to cool down. So um, you, you know the the setup and teardown of it is is pretty easy. But we've had the we've had the f- fortune of traveling through some places known for great food. Like when we've gone to Louisiana, we just happened upon this place called Bergeron's Cajun Meats, mm. and they had their own restaurant on one side, and then you walk over the other, and there are these uh, uh, the meat coolers yes. filled with already prepared as far as seasoned meats yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so we've got this grill with us, and then. Uh, folks are willing to go to the grocery store and get some get some vegetables and stuff. And and what's fun to me is I love to cook, but I love the camaraderie. The the yes the, for for this particular instance, the brotherhood that is the hang. Yes, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's another thing that's so great about the musicians that we have. It's not about just the ninety minutes on the stage yeah. uh, because anybody can suffer if they have to through that. But we're having to live with each other yeah. and do life with each other. This is, and this is one of the things I want to advocate about cooking on the road because <laughs> it's 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 not only better, it's for not you. only tastier it's than meat. Yeah. It's, it's healthier. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. You go to the grocery store yeah. instead of going to a restaurant and having right. to tip people yeah. and all that. But the th- the thing I've realized on this tour is that the hang around the grill, yeah. right, outside it's the, the bus, main event. 
is even, even if you yeah. go to a, a great restaurant, whatever your version of that is, you're there for 30, 45 minutes. They're bringing everything out to you as soon as it's done. And then the meal's over, you're stuffed, and you, and you never got to enjoy the company. Yeah, yeah. Um, so even if it takes, yeah. it can take two and a half or three hours sometimes yeah. for us to all, because, you know, we don't have a, a 700 square inch. Yeah. You know, we're not able to cook everything at once most of the time until recently, but... You know, even so if you, it you, takes, got a, you got a day off in the middle of nowhere, right? Drink a beer, smoke a cigar, and it may not look as gl- <laughs> it doesn't look glamorous. I mean, I look at the back of the pictures we take. You're like, we're in a stinking parking lot of a of a motel, <laughs> and we have these grills out, and what it it looks like it would be. What are you guys doing? You're sitting in a parking lot, you know, with 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 a, a grill on the ground, and, but we're having the time. But of I have life. to say, it's, but, it's but, but Tommy and so Zach, you guys, we were in Roswell, New Mexico. We went to literally the worst museum on the face of the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Left there almost as soon as we Which got there. Which is worth there. the price of admission. If you three dollars. I mean, if, if you're going to pay three dollars to go to the worst, and it was worst, not worth, worth three dollars. <laughs> Just say that you went to the worst museum in the world for three dollars. Yeah, it's worth, okay. it's worth it. Okay, that's worth it. Whatever. We ended up back at the <laughs> motel. But these guys just absolutely made the greatest tacos that I have ever eaten yeah, in my they were, life. They, were, they were chicken. They worked it over. They grilled the chicken. They pulled the chicken off. They with the hatch green chilies. Yes, the hatch green chilies. They put it in a, a cast iron. Um, Dutch oven, Dutch Dutch oven. and and, and I really I had no idea how amazing it was going to be. And <laughs> so yeah, listeners to the podcast know that that I am a native or not a native. I wasn't born there, but I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yes, Roswell is just a couple hours from there. And as soon as we got into New Mexico, well, when I, we left, got we, we had talked about that. I had brought so many chicken thighs with me. Oh and, yeah, and you had said when we get closer to where I'm from, we need hatch uh, chilies. Yeah. So the second we walked into a grocery store and they we had the hatch green chilies uh. like the plan was hatched <laughs> <laughs> we are making tacos and so um, I remember we got some we got some fresh white onion and we got some cilantro yeah. and we seasoned the thighs and we grilled them it was ridiculous and we had we had the, the hatch green chilies going in the Dutch oven and you know we're cooking in shifts like we're making this up as we go yeah. Yeah. and and then uh, like Jeremy said, we pulled all the meat off the thighs and we stew it together. Yeah. And then we're... At the best you, western parking lot in, in Roswell, New Mexico. And then, and then your host, Zach, um, <laughs> grilled the, the, the flour tortillas. Oh, yeah. Corn tortillas. Yep. No, the yep. corn tortillas. Yep. And, and everybody comes by with a, with a tortilla yeah. and some aluminum foil and we're just putting it on top. It and we was, got some cheese, and it was. I'm telling you, it, it was, was the greatest meal else. that I can remember ever it having, sick. and it was, <laughs> great. it was really good. But, so but, great. but Zach touched on one thing, which may serve as a good exclamation point to this whole conversation, is that there is a lot that goes into be a professional musician, and there's hours and hours of preparation and music and heart and soul and all that stuff. But when it boils down to, ultimately, is your ability on some level to connect and be around other people because if you can be literally the greatest drummer in this case in the world but if you're hard to deal with if you're hard to be around if you're hard to hang with if you're hard to do anything with then guess what then you're gonna have to have your own bank because no one's gonna hire you that's just the rule when i'm hiring people and i write a lot of checks i 1099 300 people a year at least and that's just the ones who make over the mount that have to be that's because we travel a lot and we we have our own crew but we 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 pull in a lot of the guys 
So I, I can speak with a lot of expertise on on what musicians bring to the table and what their ultimate value is to the musical propositions happening. Um, and your and who you are as a person is so key to that. And and I think so much of the time that is completely missed. Am I lying? Am I am I wrong about that? No, I mean, people people don't even realize days, even on the days we work, twenty two and a half hours of that day is. Is but a potential hang. Right, right. Yeah, like we're not playing. No, we've like, talked we, about he, it a lot on this. Podcast. You have okay, that's like, good. It, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it's been said many times before that being a professional musician is like twenty percent playing <laughs> and eighty percent hang. And that it's is and, exactly and it, right. It, that is compounded when you're on a bus, oh my God. confined oh, to just a few square feet. And you have to get along. It uh, really is. So it, yeah. luckily, we got good guys. We, we do. Hang out yeah. with, Fortunate. So. Well, fellas, I think uh, I've, I've taken up enough of your day off. The rest of the band is uh, drinking fine whiskeys on the bus. No. <laughs> That's what we're doing here. Man. No, we've been, <laughs> we've been trying, to, trying to be quiet about it. <laughs> uh, we pre- I think it's, it's, time to, it's time to join. Awesome. Man. Well, right, we appreciate the opportunity, pal. Thanks, Thanks Zach. Thank you. Appreciate, Thank you guys. appreciate you, brother. That was fun. I really appreciate Jeremy, Clay, and Tommy lending their insights to the podcast. I hope it was beneficial to you as well. You can check out the Equinox Orchestra at equinoxorchestra.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Equinox Orchestra. And you can request uh, your local PBS affiliate to air their special live from Savannah, on which Working Drummer podcast guest Marlon Patton played some wicked drums and I believe did some engineering, mixing, and mastering as well. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Working Drummer Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating and review if the spirit moves you. Uh, You can also stream the podcast directly from our website, workingdrummer.net. Hope to see you there. Thanks, as always, to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thanks, as always, for listening. Music